Well, hello, everybody. Happy Friday and welcome to Hollywood Breaks. This is our first episode of Hollywood Breaks in 2021. Keith, happy new year. Happy new year. Happy new year. Woo! 2021. We won the folks, the, the 15 or 20 people that went down to Times Square and watched the ball drop this year. I mean, were you part of the <laughs> massive crowd at the- uh, Huge. Probably the best best year to actually be at in Times Square because you're not standing next to someone who's probably peeing in their pants and it's freezing. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, right. Man, I always wanted to do that Times Square ball drop thing, and this year when I saw that, I thought I'll probably it'll never be the same again. I have no interest. I've no interest in ever participating in that event ever. Oh yeah, I'm clearly the extrovert. I'm just like <laughs> the more people around me, the better in my life. Oh man, oh then, yeah, that's uh, you're right. That's probably perfect for you. That's true. That is true. <laughs> well, not only is this uh, 2021, this actually is our 20th episode. So we've been cranking this stuff out actually for a good half a year almost now. Yeah. Um, so welcome to your half year anniversary. You know, this whole thing started just because you and I would jump on the phone call and, uh, and I would just listen to all the conversations that you knew and things that were going on. You and I are putting our show together. And I thought, we got to start recording this. Like Keith just knows way too much and other people have to get this inside view of Hollywood. Where else would they get it if we didn't yeah, start recording sure. it? So. That's fair. That's true. I'm, I'm, I'm amazing. <laughs> amazing. <laughs> That's kind of what I was expecting you to say. Yeah, yeah, of course, you know, my big ego and all. Okay, speaking of big egos, you got a big ego over your right shoulder there, buddy. Oh, yeah, I know. Uh, today's poster. That's right. Um, so today, uh, I thought I would bring out um, one of uh, uh, classic in my collection. Um, this is the Avatar teaser poster, um, which was an image that kind of went universal. I mean, we were struggling to get anything out of James Cameron because he was just churning on the movie and so much of the movie is heavily visual effects as everyone knows who has seen the movie um, and the motion capture of it all. And this was really back when mocap was really in its early, early iterations. Um, so getting this shot was quite a haul, but it's an iconic shot. Um, yeah. It was used in all our materials. Um, uh, it was designed by BLT. Um, by Clive Bailey and his team. Um, and they did a great job. And obviously this was used, as I said, everywhere. Um, and this, it, we ultimately ended up using this more than we used the, the final one sheet because the final one sheet was a bit of a struggle um, simply because trying to encapsulate this movie into a single picture beyond something as cool as that yeah. was, 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 a, was a struggle for sure. No, I mean, that, anyway. that just, you can, I remember uh, seeing that image or, or maybe a similar image because it's a memory. I can't remember how specific it was, but just going down the, the interstate in, in Los Angeles and mm -hmm. all you needed to see was that cat eye blue faced image and you absolutely knew. What, Thundercats yeah. or Thundersmurfs, Thundersmurfs. <laughs> yeah, That's what we were fighting when we started the campaign on this one. We had to convince people that this wasn't as cheesy as it might seem and we were not the last airbender. So that was oh, the other right. Thing. Yeah, yeah. What, one of my favorite stories about uh, your time with the motion capture technology mm -hmm. and how early it was, it was uh, constantly breaking down. It created a lot of frustration on the set. And uh, one of my favorite stories is James Cameron basically one time just freaking out. Like, what the hell? You know, you guys got to get this act together. I can't keep stalling like this. Can you please, you know, like get your act together? And someone had to tell him like, Hey James, can you just move the camera back three feet? You're inside of a tree. 
and he basically was he's you know like whatever the 3d technology yeah. was the three technologies was inside of a tree and he just had to like pull it out to start doing it um but obviously he was really pushing the technology at that front and, and it and it and it mattered like i mean he was carrying a camera around a set kind of navigating around um, what were 3d obstacles only yeah. in computer space uh, fascinating uh, filmmaking including yeah i mean really i mean i mean when i saw it the first time i was lucky enough to get in one of the first screenings i was with the, all the senior fox executives simply because i spent so much time on this movie um and it, it was uh, amazing it was an yeah. amazing experience just to watch it and you know the 3d the immersive 3d experience versus the things coming at you experience this was really one of the first movies that really did that and um it was just cool to be a part of it and it was at, until two years ago year and a half ago the highest grossing movie of all time and to quote jeffrey godsig who at the time was our evp um when we actually crossed the barrier into becoming the world the highest grossing movie of all time he said to all of us in a meeting once he said sit back take a minute and appreciate this moment because there's very few of you who will work on a movie like this ever again Oh wow! That will become the highest-grossing movie of all time, and it's it, it's that's something that stuck with me because he was right. It's one of those movies that it was a once-in-a-lifetime experience. I make the joke that it was the movie that we all had bankers boxes in our in in our office because if it didn't work, Rupert Murdoch was going to cut us all loose. <laughs> so <laughs> it was kind of like, oh, you know, our careers are on the line. So yeah, let's have some fun. Anyway. Uh, yeah. Anyway, not to go too much down memory lane, but anyway, that's one of the reasons why I picked this one today. But. Yeah, I love it. It's a new year. It's a good memory. It's yeah, a, it's a good memory. It's good memory. Success, yeah. So, very good, very good. Well, we have a lot to talk about. Um, Blunder Woman, nineteen eighty four. You know, mm -hmm. like whatever that uh, thing, thing was waiting for for all year. It just was <laughs> not there. I, 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 I was sitting at Christmas with my family. And my brother actually was the one brought it up. He said, hey, one woman has come out. Um, and we separated into two rooms because he has kind of like two good devices, the adults in one room and the kids in the other room. Mm -hmm. um, so of course I went down with the kids because I figured that was a more lively group. But uh, I think I was with people that were more confused by the film than, than the adults that were upstairs. Maybe the adults had food and drink where we didn't have it downstairs or whatever. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, it was, um, it's funny. I. I my, my wife is not a fan of, and my kids are really too young for this stuff yet. So it was just me. I was the one who watched it. And um, uh, yeah, it was, it was a rough go. Like it, I, I really, it's kind of disappointing because I, I feel like the mythology for these movies is there. It's just, they're not taking advantage of it um, to the extent that someone like a Kevin Feige did at Marvel. Um, and I think maybe it's because they, maybe they're not comic book readers. I don't know. I know Kevin Feige, is, is was a comic book nerd growing up. He had an appreciation for the characters. He treasured the legacy and the mythology of them. And he found directors who felt the same way and had a vision for the story that would respect the mythology, but at the same time, enrich it. And yeah. I think Warner Brothers, what they're struggling with now is, well, we don't want to copy Marvel because they did that so perfectly. So why try to copy it? They're trying to find their own voice. And, I, you know, the first Wonder Woman was well done, was well made. Patty Jenkins did a wonderful job. And Gail Godot, is, despite the unevenness of this movie, is still a perfect Wonder Woman. She looks yeah. spectacular on screen. I do, will say that it was nice to see some emotion from her, especially with her, the Chris Pine character. 
there's sort of their interaction it was it was good to see a little bit more emotion because she was very badass in the first one so it was kind of yeah. nice to see a little bit of a vulnerability in this one but it was just all over the place and i you know i've often often thought that dc has some some of the better villains marvel's villains with the exception of green goblin can be a little bit weak in a lot of ways and dr doom um but you've got a lot of you got a, a lot of great villains in the dc universe and it was interesting to me they just picked some random guy and the actor uh, pedro pascal who obviously is the mandalorian yeah was not right for that role yeah, at I, all i, I and, like to me it's like uh, the, the term i put on our street is no writer need apply like i didn't feel i feel like the consistency of the opportunity that well, yes. say the opportunity they had and the consistency of the script didn't make a lot of sense. I, I, My biggest I, it, disappointment is that you have this opportunity for an Orwellian moment, 1984. Yeah. Like they didn't choose 1988, they chose 1984. Like they have right. clearly that's a, a reference to a classic novel. And they almost kind of uh, were going that way. At least my anticipation was they're going that way. And instead, that may- what they used was 1984 as a punchline. Yeah, like a series of edits that almost were out of character for the film. It didn't give the reverence to the film at all. Um, yeah, I, I think it's definitely one of those movies that there's a running joke that you can always tell a movie that's sort of made by committee. A lot, I mean, most studio films are made by committee, but nine times out of ten, you you can you don't notice it. But this this film felt like it got noted to death, and I think. Maybe that was the, the the fact that the release was pushed so much that they had time to tinker with it constantly. I mean, who knows? But did, uh, did, is anybody else disappointed that they wiped out the invisible jets too? I mean, they used it for one scene, and then all of a sudden she could just fly. Like, yeah, that was that was a little. That was, I mean, it was a it was a, it was a sort of a a give to the true comic book nerds, but. It was yeah. very hand-handed and just, it felt And the wing, there. like it, when she flew, she wasn't even using the wings. The wings themselves only had like, it was a, I mean, gorgeous costume. Oh my gosh, I was thinking that that was going to be some major reveal moment and really just became yeah. a shield for a few minutes and then taken off. And I don't know, man, like I was thinking that Warner Brothers was kind of getting their act together, knew what they're doing really pulling people to the HBO Max platform and creating this anchor spot for it. Mm-hmm. And I and um, I think the, um, the struggle of the movie is gonna be continuing the struggle for HBO Max. I just don't think that, that the two are gonna- I, I, I think, yeah, I, I, think that's, I think that's a fair assessment. I mean, you compare sort of, if you go to Rotten Tomatoes, when the movie first came out, the reviews are pretty, pretty decent. But then as people started watching it, the reviews started to drop and it, they, I, I saw a spot where they said it was certified fresh. They actually lost that certification because the reviews dropped and mm. the, 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 um, the viewers rating also started to drop too. Now there could be argued that there's just a lot of haters out there that just want to throw hate at every movie. Yeah. So I'm sure that's baked into the cake as well. But at the same time, yeah. I wanted to love the movie. and I did. I did too. I mean, I, I, like I said, I like her. I love her as Wonder Woman. She's great. And I want to see them to do something rich with her character. But this movie was just so... Here's the tipping point for me specifically the movie, but and also to the point of what's, uh, what I believe is the, the bigger outcome of here. Is, you know, so we, we saw an HBO Max at, from at my brother's house for Christmas. But driving home from Denver to my house, we drove through Salt Lake City. 
mm-hmm. our hotel we stayed in was right next to a movie theater and the movie theater was open. And I told my wife, oh, wow. oh my gosh, we have to go see a movie. We have to <laughs> a movie for a while. The yeah. only movie playing was one Roman and we're like, yeah, let's not. Like I didn't even want to see it again in a theater, Keith, in a theater. I would, I would, I would have paid anything for popcorn and I would just would have watched the Grinch for to tell you the truth. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, just the fact it was there, I'm like, I don't know. And so that to me is like, even as a theater, if it was only in theaters, I'm not really sure it would have, it would have had even better reviews. I don't think that's the experience, but right. this definitely isn't the Hamilton and HBO Max really needs something going on. My television set keeps reminding mm-hmm. me to get the HBO Max combo and I keep ignoring it in a way because I don't see the value right now of adding that platform to to my run up of other things <laughs> I have to navigate to find a movie. Yeah, and it's and it's interesting. I mean, I haven't seen it. Maybe they have released it, but you haven't seen any sort of press release about the numbers on HBO Max and the fact that Wonder Woman 1984 was a huge boom for HBO Max. So that leads me to believe that it may not have done what they hoped it would do. Mm. Um, and the numbers box office wise were not great. I mean, that's, that's something to, you know, you can't really base it on that because there are so many theaters closed right now and no one's really going to the theaters. Um, so uh, I don't know. I mean, it, it's going to be interesting to see how the rest of the year plays out. Um, well, here's what's interesting too, right? So, um, you know, like the, the, whatever the restructure is that's happening inside of uh, studios, this unifying theatrical theory or whatever they're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, Disney did that um, with the restructuring and having all the theatrical <laughs> going through. Clearly Warner Brothers is doing something also but they're just brought back Josh Goldstein from, yep. from, from my day, Sony and, and such, you know, worked with him closely in Sony days. Mm-hmm. Um, you also knew him uh, universal, I believe um, in those yep. days, he's mm-hmm. kind of back in the play and he's taking the, the premier seat here in Warner theatrical marketing uh, yep. and over HBO max. So there's something happening. They're recognizing that they want to go back to theatrical storytelling, at least. Uh, Josh is very classic in the big blockbuster yep. release format. Mm-hmm. He has a great instinct when it comes to what it takes to reach a massive audience and draw the audience in. So they're obviously going to kind of appeal to that marketplace and really try to pull HBO Max into that space. Um, do you have a sense of what's what this restructure might be or really what uh, what's going on behind the scenes? Is this a reaction to... Wonder Woman, or is there really a long time? No, I don't, I don't think it's a reaction. I think, um, you know, I think he was already working with the studio on a consultant basis. Um, uh, so I think he was already involved. Um, and I think this was just, you know, there was an opening, Blair Rich and J.P. Richards, who was Blair Rich's basically number two, co-president of marketing, were released, let go in October, I think it was. Um, and they were basically gone by mid-November. Like they, I don't even, you know, I don't even know if they're still in the lot. So they brought Josh in to kind of oversee some of the final campaign touches and as well as the new Denzel Washington movie that just released a trailer, which is great, by the way, I highly recommend everybody go watch it. Um, but, uh, so he was already involved. So he was already there. So I think they brought him in, they just solidified his position as sort of the, the, the new president. Um, he's over only overseeing the theatrical releases that they're putting on HBO Max. He's not overseeing all HBO Max. Um, HBO Max hired somebody, I believe, away from Netflix um, about a year ago to kind of oversee a lot of their content marketing. She's still there. Um, I think this is going to, you know, 
to your point about what's this all going to look, look like, and you've got Kareem Daniel, and my position has always been at Disney. My position has always been, why do you have five marketing heads working on one piece of content? Like, and that seems to be what's happened. And, you know, at Disney, we had you know, a few weeks ago, Peter Rice saying, well, we're going to still hold our, handle our marketing. Dana Walden said the same thing. I think Alan Horn and Alan Bergman, now that Alan Bergman's basically the, the sole head of the studio, have also said I'm overseeing marketing. So it's like you've got all these marketing heads and everyone's sort of, you know, got their hands in the cookie jar. It's going to lead to some butting of heads and sloppy, you know, made some sloppy campaigns because well, you know, all, with all you these. And I are familiar with the Universal Gold Symphony model, where basically yeah. a, a few times a year there's a, a tentpole event that Universal uh, or Comcast, basically, Comcast Global wants to promote. And um, they synchronize all of their marketing throughout all their platforms um, mm -hmm. the, X the Xfinity platform. The um, all the the amusement parks, all the theatrical stuff for one large event. You and I worked on the Grinch one together. Yep. Um, you almost wonder now if people have learned a lesson from that and are really trying to create the Gold Symphony model inside of every, you know, as a consistency model for all these right. releases because there's just too much confusion and too much range in the marketplace to leave it up to every single every nook and cranny to a different marketing head. And to have yeah. some sort of uh, universal strategy would be obviously ideal for many, many of these these ideas. Yeah, I mean that that the the universal symphony is not because we I dealt from that on the client side with um, Night at the Museum two, um, or was it three? I can't remember which one it was, but we we did something with Universal Symphony through our promo department, our um, on air promotions department, and it was flawless. Like they were consistent across the board on all their channels, lower thirds, everything. It was beautiful. And that may be a solution. Maybe Kareem Daniel, who now is sort of determining where projects end up in the greater Disney ecosystem in terms of their distribution, maybe he will sort of have some sort of semblance, a symphony-like aspect to his job to help unify um, content across all their channels. Um, maybe that's one solution. I don't know. I personally think one marketing organization that handles the marketing for content for all the channels is the best way to go. That's how you get consistency. And it will lead to, you know, avoiding problems when, for example, something's supposed to go theatrical and then all of a sudden it bounces to Disney Plus, which is a completely different, regardless of what people say, it's a different marketing strategy. Totally different strategy. Different channels that you hit. There's different, you know, different ways to get your audience versus a classic theatrical model which has very different levers to it as well. So there's a lot that gets lost in translation and having one sort of unified organization that oversees it all would help sort of trim down on sort of the loss um, messaging that goes between the two distribution channels. Yeah, And it would be a, a big cost savings too, which obviously is big for these conglomerates, which are spending need more money to spend on content creation because there are so many channels that need to be fed at this point yeah and i to you know you and i are obviously skewed in the marketing aspect of things yeah. where we made most of our career and our time has been spent in marketing um i just think of what it really means to these long-term vendors we'll say like long-term story theatrical storytellers mm -hmm. and um i think that we've all kind of watched over the years that they basically just moved theatrical marketing straight onto the ott platforms right so we're basically it's almost like the old days of Apple trailer 
um, website where you just sit there and watch trailers as an art form. Yeah. Um, I think originally the movement went from the theatrical onto OTT platform. My curiosity is, and I, I'm, I'm the kind of shifting I'm seeing take place. I'm wondering if that is being challenged now of like theatrical marketing doesn't work on, on your television set, regardless how big it is, or how beautiful the sound set is. And most likely it's because it doesn't work on this device here. I mean, we watch it as an art form, but it doesn't drive you to seeing the show or drive you, right. get you out of your seat and into the theaters. Right. Um, that if there, there's this more of a challenge that people are taking on through this restructuring is rethinking, oh, wait, we need to understand, you know, the concept of different platforms and get marketing out there in different ways so that we can take on the challenge that are, that's ahead of us and mm -hmm. restart reforming what it means to do to get our audience back into theaters eventually, or at least watching them on their OTT platforms. Yep. HBO Max, I just feel like they're, they're, we're going to pick on them for a while because they really are the one that um, we watch. If you watch Disney Plus only and you only talk about Disney Plus, it looks so easy. You don't realize how, what the challenge really, really is. Um, I guess in all fairness, it, we're not necessarily picking on HBO Max. We're just recognizing the hard work it needs to do this well. And it's not just like you plug it in, turn it on, and it's okay. Warner Brothers is going through what it, the real work behind the scenes but we're mm -hmm. seeing it out in front, like they're yeah. acting it out and all the players are on front of stage. Behind yeah, all, 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 all the things that you normally see in closed door boardrooms are sort of happening out in the open. We're watching happen. And, and I think it's because they're playing, they're playing yeah. catch up opposed to, I remember when Disney started the idea of their OTT platform, it seems like it took years for them to even get their act together. And I'm gonna guess many of these things were in a very Disney form being held close. Um, yeah. Warner Brothers yeah. trying to play catch up or watching it play out in front of us. Um, but obviously yep. that shift with, with bringing on Josh and looking at that stuff, uh, uh, Blair and all that, that team moving on, like there's, there's, there's shuffling taking place because they're asking new um, marketing theory. So it'd be pretty interesting to see how that, how that. Yeah. It'll out. be interesting to see how it all shakes out over there for sure. Yeah. And then also, I mean, to, to go back to Disney for a bit, Ricky, Ricky Strauss left yeah. um, the theatrical marketing group and he's been there for what nine years, ten years now? I can't, he's been there a long time. He was actually in theatrical marketing. He he was there before Saad took over. He's the current um, head of worldwide marketing at Disney Theatrical, and he was moved over to Disney Plus, and he was sort of the head of content and marketing. So he was kind of the content head, um, and he basically announced that he was done. Um, he's leaving the company after a long time, a long. Good, a very solid run there. He was running theatrical marketing when Disney started to take off mm -hmm. um, with all its the Star Wars and what have you. Um, so um, yeah, it's, it's a lot of change. I think mainly his reason for leaving is he really didn't have much of a role anymore um, because Disney Plus is being fed through all these other content hubs. Um, I think it was sort of like, what, 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 what's my role here now? And, um, you know, I think that's it's just an acknowledgement that I don't have as much to do as I once did. And Disney Plus had a lot of issues getting a lot of their originals off the ground before this whole pandemic hit and it was forced a realignment on Disney's part. They had a lot of stop and goes with shows. Um, Lizzie McGuire was one that was gonna go, then it was on Disney Plus, then it went to Hulu and then it sort of fell apart. Yeah. They had one show that was about all the villains and that got too dark for Disney Plus so they put a stop on that. So they've had a lot of issues sort of trying to find original content specifically for Disney Plus. But now with all these partners and these new division heads sort of overseeing content and it all going to streaming now, 
I think it's sort of, he was like, he's obviously a very intelligent human being. So he probably was like, what, what's my role here now? I kind of yeah. need a new challenge. I'm going to guess we're going to see, he's going to pop up again soon. He's not going into retirement. It's not, no. not that stage of life, but I'm going to guess no. there's opportunity for him. That there's going to be some other, I mean, he was a producer. I worked with him briefly as a producer on the producing side um, when I was at New Line. Um, so he has some production experience as well. He maybe he'll go back to that world. Um, you know, he was, you know, he was very good and astute with his notes and all that kind of stuff. So I think I mean, obviously now having worked at Disney for as long as he had, he's got great talent relations. So yeah, and I'm think, gonna um, I'm gonna do like some major speculation. So this don't. Uh, hopefully, I'm right, so I can claim it to be brilliant at the time. But this is total major speculation. But I think with Kareem Daniels coming in, clearly not having that clear of a definition of a job, I would mm -hmm. speculate that that's just you know grooming for CEO. Yeah. And if you're Ricky Strauss, if you realize you don't have the CEO job, you kind of move on to see if you can't do something else. Then, then yeah, once once you're not being anointed to move up, there's really not much other places you can go um, from where he is now. Um, so yeah, that that would be another issue. Like, well, where yeah. where do I go from here? I you know my role has been made minimalistic in, in a lot of sense. So why 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 do I want to stay here? Yeah. But what a great run. I mean, kudos yeah. to Ricky. It's such a, such a great career, huge stuff yeah. that he uh, put in place. And honestly, you know, Marvel marketing is probably some of, if you're a fan of the Marvel films, you're a fan of Marvel marketing and that's under his um, umbrella. So super yeah. great. Um, okay. So here's, um, let's shift that gears a little bit here because they're also in this distribution model, um, you know, some, and I think you can even see it play out just in our everyday life of like, Clearly, Hollywood um, is pushing some very specific agenda um, yeah, over and over and over again. We see that play itself out. In the worst case scenarios, they're playing itself out in the award shows. You know, the mm -hmm. people that receive the awards, it's become a, really a political field more than just an entertainment field. Yeah. Um, and you and I have had plenty of conversations about, you know, entertainment really is just for everyone. Their entertainment yes. should just be. It a should be for everyone. Yes. Yeah. And it, and um, I almost kind of lament the days of just like the opportunity for a movie to be the water cooler talk. Like it's the thing that we could have in common that we both love the same film. It wasn't about yeah. some other kind of agenda. Mm -hmm. uh, sports seems to be even kind of bringing in politics into it. It's the one thing that used to unify us together is now become politicized as well. It's, yeah. it's tough to watch. So the, uh, so it interesting move for me, just kind of with that setup. Interesting move for me is these Daily Wired guys, um, uh, Ben uh, Shapiro and Jeremy Boring, uh, launching their entertainment division. Kind of saying like, yeah. hey, if we're going to do politics in entertainment, <laughs> how about politics gets involved in entertainment? Right. I I almost feel like it's it's not the same degree, but you know the Obamas have their Netflix deal. It yeah. seems to be politics is new entertainment, or entertainment is politics. I guess you have a TV TV star as a president. It's what's like all of this is one way to put it. Crap. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what an interesting move these guys, uh, what they're doing, getting yeah. basically expanding their horizon into. I, I think, I think so. My theory has always been, and this has always been one of my, you know, I grew up in small town, Western Pennsylvania. Um, so I was not a big city kid. And when I moved out to LA, you know, obviously big city, small town boy, big city kind of thing. And, you know, it's amazing that in that you really do get sucked into the bubble. Like you forget where some, a lot of the times what you liked about going to the movies because you get so sucked into the, the sort of the sort of the Hollywood exclusivity of it all, going to the premieres, talking to the same people. 
Um, and it, there is a lot of a monolithic feel to Hollywood. Uh, nobody's going to be shocked by this. Hollywood leans, leans way liberal, not just little liberal. Um, and that can often come out in the messaging of their movies. And given the politicized world in which we're in, um, that can be off-putting to a lot of people. And you see that, as you mentioned, with the Academy Awards, where movies that they, they show are very message-heavy movies, and nobody really watches them. And I think um, what Jeremy and Ben are attempting to do, I think, is to sort of create entertainment that is more for everyone, um, leaning more to the classical liberal values of freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of the press kind of stuff. Um, and they've made a point to say, listen, we're not going to push our politics on you, but it's going to reflect our values, which, as I said, lean a little bit more classic liberalism. Their first movie, Run, Hide, Fight. Classic conservative? Classic conservative. Yeah, classic conservative. So yeah. the, um, the first movie is Run, Hide, Fight. It's a school shooting movie. Studios wouldn't touch it. So Ben and Jeremy stepped up. They bought the distribution rights to it. And they, you know, they did a huge press push. Deadline covered it, Denley Hollywood, which... And it was a fair release. I'll give them deadline credit for that. They, they didn't lean one way or another saying these garbage conservative commentators are starting trying to make their own movies. Um, but I think there's a real opportunity here to um, sort of open the, because my, uh, my big thing has always been that Hollywood is populated by a lot of people who live behind gates and work behind gates. And 90% of the American public don't. And at times, you forget that. And it goes back to what I just said about the bubble. You get sucked into the bubble. And when you're sitting there looking at a campaign, you've got everybody who lives in LA, works in LA, um, may not, I mean, most people are not necessarily from LA, but you get sucked into it that you forget where, you know, a lot of who you were when you were growing up. And I think this may help get around that and sort of open up the process of Hollywood to a lot more points of view and create entertainment that really is for everybody. Yeah, to me, like, I, you know, the entertainment, especially films, have an opportunity for dialogue. It has opportunity for conversation. They, they, yes. they, they do challenge us. And then when you sit around with your friends talking about the film, you kind of, you know, kind of build up the idea of what the principle was and if you agree with it or not. But it gives you that foundational uh, conversation anchor stone. If it's yeah. always one way leaning, you can't really have that dialogue anymore. Oh. One side only sees the other side as an idiot because all the films, like how do you agree with this? You know, Bambi yeah. killer, you know, like, like you kind of like just always playing on one side to open up the dialogue again and kind of be able to see if there's opportunity with these guys to start doing it. They're obviously bold. Ben Shapiro yes. does not avoid conflict. No. His whole no, war in Berkeley that costs like $16 million or whatever, so he can see <laughs> Berkeley. Um, he's yeah. in the middle of the conversation. Um, yeah. And he's a curious he's a curious figure in, in the industry because he's not afraid of the dialogue. Um, I, no, I, and, and, his, and um, you know, his family, he, he's an entertainment, his parents, I believe, are in the entertainment industry. And, you know, that's something that makes him a little different from most conservative commentators is he doesn't have, you know, he has that experience. He grew up in LA. Um, Jeremy, his, co his partner also has experience in uh, entertainment. So it'll be interesting to see like what exactly comes of this. They apparently have other things in the hopper. Um, so I think they're looking to build, use the audience they have now and sort of broaden it out. Because I, I, I really think what they're, ultimately what they're trying to accomplish is to avoid demonization 
get away from demonizing one side or the other and let's just be able to watch a movie and have a conversation and treat both sides fairly. And at the same time, maybe try to refine things culturally because the, you know, Ben's mentor is Andrew Breitbart and his big saying was politics is downstream of culture. So if we wanna make our, po our politics healthier, then our culture has to get a little healthier. And maybe this may be a way by presenting films that don't skew so much one side. And to be fair, some of the movies that are made for a right-wing audience are very heavy-handed. So and they heavy -handed. the message over you to the point where the movie is terrible. Yeah. And I think what they're trying to do is like, we don't want to beat you over the head with it. Yes, our movies are going to reflect what we feel, our values here at Daily Wire. But at the same time, we're going to try to treat both sides fairly. Yeah. And if we can inspire someone on the right and someone on the left to sit down in a coffee shop and have a conversation without thinking the person you're talking to is evil, then we're going to try to do that and make, make sort of bring the conversation back and maybe try to sort of open the minds a little bit. Cause you know, you want to go to a movie and be challenged. You want to be able to see some of the better aspects of life. The thing that sort of annoys me a lot about Hollywood is you go to a movie and you just feel like crap when you walk out of it. Cause they just say how terrible the world is. Yeah. Yes. The world has problems. There's no doubt about that. There's nothing wrong with creating a movie that calls out those problems. But we also need a little bit of sort of like look at sort of the beautiful parts of the world as well, because there are a lot of those things. And I think we just have to keep that in mind. And I, I applaud them for, you know, I, I wish them all the best. And if you guys need help with anything, please feel free to give me a call. Um, but but I, I, um, right in the middle. By the yeah, way, right there. Um, I think I think Keith Brown demo reel. I'm in the middle of this segment. We got yeah. Um, but I, I applaud them and I, I hope it's a success. And, you know, I, I think it, it could definitely uh, lead to us seeing a lot more stories that may not necessarily be seen if they're controlled by the the, the big five studios. Yeah, I mean, I, I run in some conservative circles and I feel like um, the conversation is often, you know, when watching a future film because it's liberal, the conservative often has critique, you know, you know because conservatives are often look like the bad guy, they're, they're villainized in some principles, whatever. Um, and I played the I played the conversation stir that kind of presents the role of the movie, saying like, what? Do you understand no. what this movie is really saying?" Not you, you guys, this point of view, and I, of course, I'm. But it would be so great to have to be able to play that same role with some of my more liberal liberal leaning friends, and not have the movie be absolutely ridiculous, very elementary in the in nature which a lot of conservative movies have. So yeah. uh, I'm with you. I hope this investment goes well. Clearly these guys um, in the in the, in the um, political realm like to stir things up. So hopefully they're not, my hope is that they don't, don't push too hard, but go with that idea of politics as downstream of the culture and mm -hmm. really be part of it. And I think they have an intelligent idea that's there. Um, we'll see, we'll see. But yeah. um, uh, it just I wanted to kind of hit that mark this week, especially because there's plenty of politics still happening in our world. It's affecting all of us. Yes. Um, but to think that there are strategies taking place within our industry, and it's really us, the Hollywood insiders, the Hollywood makers have to be part of that conversation. Yep. We can't only have the Messiah complex hoping, saying that we can save the world because we're the, you know, the bigger, more famous, more um, financially secure people. Therefore, we're the ones that listen. Like, there's a lot of conversation that needs to take place. Um, yeah. To have that point of view would be great. Yeah. Um, well, I love that idea. And I think that's a great kickoff to 2021. There's so many great things that are going to come for us this year. I think um, 
the movements that are taking place um, now. And again, I'm going to make this promise. We got to get into some of this uh, video game stuff because the video game space is completely taking off. Um, and I was having conversations this week with some heads of was a large marketing companies, like international marketing companies, you know, over 3000 employees and um, the, the needs that they have in the entertainment space, in the live event space, and in the um, really some of what they're calling XR space is mm -hmm. uh, really growing. And that's gonna be a new form of entertainment for us. And I think we're gonna see that show up on our doorstep more and more. Oh yeah, absolutely. So I'm excited for what this evolution that is taking place, even though it's happening under uh, you know, hard times really, but it's, it's, you know, the current situation is forcing the evolution to take place. But the evolution is exciting and as always moving very fast. And uh, Hollywood is pulling itself apart, part, it's breaking into pieces and it's gonna put itself back together again and create new breaks for us. So yeah, we'll see where that goes. <laughs> well, happy new year to you once again. I hope you're well. And um, next week we gotta grab our Rev Think mugs and uh, do a little toast together to Oh yeah, we totally should. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. I forgot to bring mine in. Yeah, I'll even that next week. <laughs> right. We got to uh, put a cheers together. Yeah. Um, well, once again, I just want to say thank you to all of you that are part of our, our following. Um, if this first time you're watching it, you want to see more, please feel free to subscribe to our channel. We'd love to have you follow us, uh, hear more things going on. Um, those of you inside the RevThink community, um, we're here and available to you. Please feel free to reach out to us. You can direct message us right here in the RevThink community. And uh, Keith and I would be happy to have this conversation even more. Um, thank you, Lydia, behind the scenes, the Go Social team that keeps us going. And we even have a new intern person, Connor, who's uh, putting our transcribing together and helping us put the little video snippets together. So thank you, Connor, for all you're doing. And uh, happy new year to everyone. Um, until next Friday, when we break Hollywood breaks again, uh, we hope to see you again soon. Thank you.